Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/spoken today. When I was a little kid, my dad was a cop. You see, my dad was a cop in the 80s in Sydney, which is generally regarded as the wild west of law enforcement. A terrifying time to be a cop or a criminal or just to be in Sydney full stop. And I one day stumbled upon his case files and they absolutely ruined me. So years later, I approached dad and we went through his old case files together and it became a book, Loose Units. It's in stores right now actually. And now we're doing a podcast about it. Loose Units, the podcast, is a weekly true crime podcast where I sit across from my dad, an ex-cop from the 80s, and we dive deep into the seedy underbelly of Sydney's policing. So we're doing this podcast down here in Collingwood every week at Castaway Studios together, and we hope you enjoy it. Well, we're back in the studio for another episode of Loose Units. Uh, Apologies to everybody for the... um for the Skype call episodes, but Dad, you didn't mind doing those, did you? No, I didn't mind, but a friend of mine actually said that she could hear your voice coming through, for example, the left and mine coming through the right. Yeah, and that was disconcerting. In real life, um, we had a few listeners point that out, actually, which Mm. implies that a lot of people are listening sneakily with one headphone in their ears, Yeah, which seems illicit. I mean, that's not... Well, in the olden days, when people had transistor radios with silly little... Ear one piece here things. If they had been listening to that podcast through one ear, they would have only heard me talking because I'm obviously the star. Jesus Christ, look at the ego on this one. Thank you. He's pulling a face. Okay, well, um, welcome to another episode of Loose Units, the true crime podcast where a comedian son, that's me, uh, talks to his dad, who is an ex-cop from the 80s. Mm. Dad, yes, Paul. Um, we've been kind of uh, bouncing back and forth between different, I guess, eras of policing lately. And as um, I dropped a hint a few episodes ago, and we, we very, very briefly talked about the fact that you, um, I don't want to go too deep into this area, but you and mum ran a funeral home. Mm. Now we're not going to do well. Okay, look, let me, let me just step back a bit. Um, we were working together the prompts for the cases we were going to talk about on this episode of loose units. Mm. And you started to tell a story and you told me to write this down, Mount Erebus. Mm. Now, do you want to tell this story on yeah. the show? I, yeah. I, I feel like this might be a bit of a rich well. So, I mean, go as, let's just go as deep as we can. Mm. So, uh, what what is Mount Erebus for those who don't know? Okay, well, look, Mount Erebus was, and funnily enough, still is. Really? A big mountain. Okay. And... It was in the late 70s, early 80s when an Air New Zealand plane yeah. uh, picked up a whole lot of sightseeing people. <laughs> What's wrong with you? No. You look very awkward. Yeah. You out of practice? No, no, no. It's just that. Well, I've just come back from uh, Thailand, as you know. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and, and now I'm in freezing Melbourne. 
So, you know, it's and I'm wearing a jumper, as which I is a bit weird. Now, as I pointed out to you before, in about 15 years, the whole world's going to be on fire, so let's enjoy the cold cool. while we can, yeah. okay? Yeah, yeah. You've, that's the second time you've said that today. I know. As okay. I, I literally said, as I said before. So. True, true. Fair, fair call. <laughs> so Mount Erebus, uh, yeah. the, so what happened was there were all these happy people on a, on a big plane. Now, that's an assumption you're making there. You don't know how their emotional states were. But, I mean, Mount Erebus, where is Mount Erebus? It's in Antarctica. Okay, how big is this thing? It's big. It's high. And it's, um, I didn't know, uh, this might sound naive of me, I didn't know there were mountains in Antarctica. I sort of just assumed it was. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Paul. Okay. Right. So, um, anyway, the, the terrible thing about this story is that the what had happened was they'd someone had pre-controlled or pre-entered some incorrect flight statistics into the computer on board. Yeah. And some for some unknown reason, the plane didn't go over the mountain. It went into the mountain. That's a big. That's a big mistake. Yeah, and yep. as a result of that, every single person on board passed away. Jesus Christ. Now, d- first of all, um, do you know what year this was? Look, um, I'd need to refer to contemporaneous notes that I haven't taken. Okay, okay. So I don't have any notes. We're talking like the 70s, the 80s, what? Late 70s, early 80s. Late 70s, early 80s. And uh, wh- how big was this plane? It was a big plane. It, I th- it probably had at least 300 people on board. So, so, look, it was an internationally significant major blow, particularly to Air New Zealand, because sure. they'd organised. You know how they have these charter flights where you can go to Sydney Airport, go down to Antarctica, see some glaciers or whatever you see for a day, and you come back. It's yeah. just really exciting. So that's what happened. And, and I guess the listeners are going, what on earth does this have to do with the previous uh, podcast, but I will. It, uh, it, we'll get there. Yeah, okay? I've, I've, no, I trust you. I, tr- I think I think you've earned. Um, I think you've earned the right to mm. to <laughs> stray a little. Yeah. So it was a very very controversial case. Um, there was a, a, a perceived or real cover up, and Four Corners, yeah. that that excellent uh, Australian investigative uh, show on the ABC, did a did a big show on Mount Erebus because apparently there was there were break-ins in Air New Zealand and people were trying to steal, you know, really important evidence to show or not show yeah. whether there'd been tampering or mistakes made with the computer side of all the calculations that are required when you go onto autopilot. Yeah. So the weird thing is, Paul, that when I worked at Mossman Police Station, I worked with a lovely, lovely um, police officer and his dad was an Air New Zealand captain. Right. And it's my memory's a little bit hazy, but I recall him saying that his father's uh, career was very much um, put under a lot of pressure due to the Mount Erebus disaster. Now, he didn't elaborate. Okay, so I guess we're now going to sort of move just slightly into the funeral business. Yeah. yeah. That is that um, I was at a funeral once. See, Christine and I, we actually, whilst I was still um, working in the uh, in the fire brigade, yeah. which I know sounds weird to the listeners that I've done so many things. Well, I think, see, I am of the... Okay, so listeners of Loose Units and people who've read the book will know that I have, uh, I have ADD, I have ADHD. I'm fairly convinced that Dad has it too, but his manifests itself in his career choices because the things you've done... Um, it's like you get distracted by shiny things. So you are in the fire brigade. You're a ladder driver at this point, I assume. Mm. But you're also running a funeral home with mum, who is an ex-cop. 
Yeah, and I've also got two antique shops. Sure, just why not? Mm. And a PI licence that you yep. had at one point. Yep. And so it was either a massive truck capable of moving antique furniture or a hearse mm. parked outside the fire station. Either way, old things are being moved by large vehicles. Correct. Now, look, the whole funeral industry is... It's so fascinating. The stories are, and kind of in a weird way, intertwined with the police force. Yeah. I'll never forget, and I'm not sure whether I've ever mentioned this to you, so I'm just going on a bit of a, a tangent, if I may. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. But um, We've got plenty of rope leading back to where we started. Right. So, we so you know, police officers of all ranks, but particularly perhaps the more junior ranks, do every time they go to a deceased, which can be a hanging... Uh, you know, suicide of some description, a murder, a car accident, etc. Invariably, mm. or or a cot death, dare I say it? Jesus, yeah. Um, everyone has to go generally uh, to the morgue mm. when a doctor refuses to issue a certificate as to the cause of death, and we've touched on that in previous uh, podcasts. But I'll never ever forget. I was at the Glebe Morgue, um, which was and possibly still is the largest morgue in the Southern Hemisphere. Sure. And as a very, very young police officer, there used to be a lot of undertakers, you know, guys in black suits, hanging around what was called the police room. And I was approached one day by this sort of elderly funeral guy and he just said to me, oh, look, um, here's my card and if ever you're at a, basically, if you're at a a job where there's a deceased person, um you know, feel free to recommend our services to the client, which struck me as being bizarre. Just quickly, we've talked about, and in the book, this is mentioned in the book a few times, the behaviour of tow truck drivers where they would basically head to the scene of a prang yep. um, and just aggressively vie for the, you know. So there was so much money in it. Yeah. So how is this any, this is starting to sound a little bit like that, but Very with much dead, so. dead bodies. No, it was amazing. It, and it was it was notorious. And it was, in fact, I was so shocked and naive and kind of, look, weirdly, I wrote everything down in my little notebook and I actually spoke to a few senior officers when I got back to the station and said, this is what's just happened. And they went, yeah. But unbeknownst to me was that, um, shall I say, it was not uncommon. Let's look at the facts. The facts are that a funeral is incredibly expensive. Yeah. Back in the day, the most basic funeral in Sydney in the 1980s was between, say, four and $6,000. That's for a very, very basic funeral. Yeah. And it's all uphill from there. So when, well, actually, it's downhill technically. You're right, you're right. But look, it, look it, it's a whole massive story, but... I'll try and sort of pull myself back into the situation that I was talking about, Re being at the morgue, yeah. approached by this guy saying, if you give my card out to, like, you go to a, anything where there's a fatality mm. and you refer our funeral home so the family use us, you, you'll get a kickback. That was the bottom line. Is that legal? Totally illegal. Totally. But that's how it was working. Yeah. It's sort of like a referral service. Yeah. So I thought, yeah, that's a bit a bit weird. But the thing, the, the tie back to Mount Erebus is that basically this particular police officer that I worked with at Mossman, he, he saw that was the connection with his dad at Mount Erebus. But then I remember that when I was at a funeral, and this is probably the only funeral story I'm going to tell you because that's we're saving a lot of this for another whole 
you know, world of podcasts. Sure. But sure. this is a very interesting story in that this particular guy that I worked with, he had been involved. What happened was when they went to Mount Erebus to pick up the hundreds and hundreds of uh, deceased, they were all frozen. Oh, God. So they get all the frozen bodies and they put them into these crates. Yeah. And they used uh, military vehicles, military aircraft, mm-hmm. and they flew them back to New Zealand, which is the closest point from Antarctica that and, and Tasmania. Sure. But a lot of the flights that go down to Antarctica, their last port of call is New Zealand. They had an incredible heat wave in New Zealand, which was most out of character. And when they brought all their bodies in crates that were frozen, super frozen, they, they landed them on and they put all the bodies that were in these boxes onto the tarmac and they then had to move them by forklift and right. move them into these hangars but they left them on the tarmac longer than they'd anticipated and it was a lot hotter than they thought and the bodies were all melting which is just a bit of a nightmare. I'm not sure whether that's public knowledge but I got it firsthand from this guy that was directly involved and he ended up working for Kinsella Funeral Homes that I worked for. Yeah. And so this is my one and only story that I'm going to tell today. Okay. I don't know whether you're aware, but, I mean, we all know that people have pacemakers. Yeah, and, some, and, some do, yeah. And your grandfather's got a pacemaker. And what is the pacemaker's job? It, it just regulates, uh, it sends an electric signal to the heart mm. and makes sure that it beats regularly. So what happened was somehow or other this particular person had passed away and we were up at the crematorium and they were going to cremate this particular deceased person. Yeah. And then at the last minute, they realised that he still had his pacemaker. Now, the pacemaker is attached up sort of near the shoulder, and it's sort of like an envelope, steel envelope, and it's maybe five or six mil thick, and it sits underneath the skin. You can see it, but you can't put a body inside the gas oven with the pacemaker because it'll explode. Well, it's like you can't put, you know, metal in a microwave. Correct. I mean... It's dangerous. Yeah. And um, I'll never forget, uh, it was an emergency at the crematorium that no one really knew about, and they came across to us and said, look, we need, we believe that your guy is a bit of an expert because he'd done a lot of uh, embalming, which is unusual because he was just helping us out. He was like our embalmer, but he was just working, helping us out that day because we were short-staffed. Sure. And... He said, look, I can I can assist. So I went with him to the back room where they've got all the, um, the gas-fired ovens. Yeah. And he asked someone, could he have a pen? And he used a pen and he used it as a knife and he just basically cut around this person's uh, pacemaker and then he removed, literally pulled the pacemaker out of the, um, out of the body. What did he do with it? I'm not sure. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. And then the body. Wait, you don't remember what he did with the pacemaker? No, no, no. He certainly didn't put it in his pocket, but, um, you know, or tried to resell it. Wash it off? Yeah. How much are they worth? I, I I think they'd be pretty expensive, right? You reckon he you reckon he kept it? Mm, don't know, but um, anyway, he uh, yeah, and then they, then they cremated the body. And did you um, did these interactions? And we won't, we won't talk about the funeral home much more. Did these interactions with? Because it doesn't sound like these interactions sold you on the funeral home uh, industry. What like what made you come away from that and then go? Yeah, I could do that. Well, um, we were offered uh, the business. Basically, to run it, and it was very, very lucrative. Mm. But it was look, we'll save it for another day. The stories that I got involved in in that line of work were just quite frankly terrible. Right, because most, yeah, most. So when most people offered, um, you know, a franchise, it's like, hey, do you want to run this Shakespeare's pies or mm, whatever? Yeah, yeah, All right. I mean, it was great in terms of if I was just thinking about the money, I would have just absolutely, you know, grabbed it. But, yeah. but emotionally, it was so. Look, I, as I said, I'm not going to talk about the stories today. Okay, but, okay. Yeah. Um, well, look, this has me uh, wanting to ask you a question. Um, I have never seen a dead body. Uh, when I was at university, they had like a medical museum up in the, um, you know, the, the like people who were training to be doctors. Mm. So there was apparently this little part of the um, medical wing of the university at UNSW where I studied where uh, medical students could see bodies and they could see autopsies and I had a friend who was a medical student and he's like hey do you want to see a dead body and I was like no but irritatingly now I'm thinking maybe I probably should have like what what is the experience and I don't want to get too graphic but what is the experience the sensory experience of seeing a dead body um and was the first dead body you saw uh in the in the in the force yeah, uh, yeah. In the, uh, look, I when I was um, in high school, mm. I was a member of St John's Ambulance, so I used to do a lot of first aid. And weirdly, uh, I used to work at um, Thursday night, Saturday morning down at Ringham Mall on the northern beaches, and I used to do parcel pickup and you know pick up the trolleys and do all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and um, I just uh, I managed to acquire a tiny first aid kit and my mother picked me up one Thursday night it was a hot summer's night and we were going up this steep road called Beacon Hill Road yeah and there was a bit of a traffic jam so remember I've, I've, I've learned a little bit about first aid I'm pretty excited and I've got a tiny little first aid kit in the back of the car and lo and behold we come to a motorcycle accident and the guy was pretty well on the verge of dying and I, I was maybe 15 or 16 and I ran over and had my little kit with me, which was a tiny kit the size of a tissue box. Yeah. And I 
tried to do what I could, but he'd come off his motorbike and he'd slid along and smashed his head into the gutter and he was completely rat shit. Oh, God. And uh, he basically died at the scene and that was my first. But he was still kind of, you know, there was a lot of blood, but he was he was warm and he was, you know, so that was that's sort of one sort of facet of death, which is pretty distressing. But I, you know, I looked at it fairly philosophically and thought I was pretty well unaffected. But then, of course... You've got elderly people that pass away that are basically they lose all the colour and they go a sort of a like a light custody colour. Oh, that's not a good analogy, is well, it? Well, no, not when you because I quite liked custody yeah, until yeah. now. I know. Can we just just very very quickly rewind? I didn't know that when you were fifteen, you ran up to a smashed, ruined motorcycle man with a first aid kit and watched the life go out of his eyes. Mm. Um, on wait, was this on Beacon Hill Road? You Correct. said. Yep. I've. <laughs> You and, and, and I'll tell you a little story. For for over a year after that incident, yeah. I used to drive past and I could still see the blood that had soaked into the concrete. Do you mean you were having like a Vietnam-style flashback and no, you no, thought you I could saw, see the blood? No, it was there. It was still there. It takes a long, long time for the blood to... to to weather away. Because there's a lot of times where I pass on the street, and I'm sure a lot of listeners yeah. have had this experience, yeah. where you see what you feel. Like, you look at the stain on the road and you're like, oh, I reckon uh, that's blood. You know what, Paul? Yeah. If you think it's blood, it probably is. I'll never forget. Oh, do you want to hear a horrendous story? Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, wait, listeners, do you want to hear a horrendous story? I can hear them nodding through time actually, and space. Does it matter if it's... Um, fuck, it's so uncool to laugh. Um, it's, does it matter if it's kind of, it's sort of a motorbike story. Yeah. There's a little bit of pathos in this story. Right. And I don't think I've told this one to you. It's rather depressing. Oh, great. Um, well, I, I mean, we, we, you, we finally got, we finally got you back in the studio. I think it's really important. We, we take things out on a sad note. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Paul, um, speaking of deceased people, um, and, and motor and motor vehicle, motorcycle accidents, I mean, accidents, um, you know, they're not nice things to go to. And we went to an accident one night on the Spit Bridge. Yeah. Can't believe I've never told you this story. <laughs> but, you know, there are so many stories in the deep recesses of my mind. Yeah. And sometimes it takes this situation, sitting opposite you in a lovely studio in Melbourne, to just, you know, and, and, and things trigger other, other memories. But th- there's pathos in this story. It involved a 17-year-old guy who was a learner on a motorbike. And he decided to go out at night time to, to basically learn how to ride his motorbike. So he had his learner's permit. He had a brand-new motorbike, brand-new helmet, had all the right gear, 17 years of age, full life ahead of him. And he thought he was doing the right thing by riding when there's no traffic around. Mm. So it was well after midnight on a weeknight. Mm. There's no one on the road, and we get a call to this poor young guy and he'd come off his motorbike and we get to the scene and he was deceased and we couldn't see the motorbike because he was obviously going at some speed and it's downhill and his motorbike had probably travelled about 150 metres past him. So what can happen with motorcycle accidents? I mean, coming off a motorbike's bad. That's not what kills you. It's when you stop. And in quite often, it's the case where you stop when your head comes into contact with the gutter. Right. And it basically snaps your neck and, and it's all over. But for me, I walked that long, long walk 
which seemed like an eternity in the dark. Now, and and I've t- spoken to you also, Paul, about you know the human being is supposed to be sleeping at night time, and then you know you've got all your circadian rhythms, circadian, circadian, so, yeah, yeah, not not cicadas or anything like that. Just quickly, I was raised in Sydney by good parents, and I was raised to believe that the word was pronounced cicada. I got to Melbourne and everyone's laughing at me because apparently in Victoria they say cicada. Now well, it's not cicada. I know, That's ridiculous. No, it's not. I checked. I literally I checked. Right. So the only places they pronounced it cicada based on what I could find were America, Victoria, and potentially Adelaide. I'm not sure. Fascinating. Whereas you know the correct way to pronounce it, like a not. I'm, I reckon we've got listeners turning off the podcast just because it's so contentious. Feel free to pop on the Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash loose units. And let us know how you pronounce this stupid word. Okay, so your circadian rhythms are out of whack at night. Yeah, so you're feeling a little bit. I don't know whether people have ever woken up to go to the toilet. Well, obviously that's ridiculous because everyone does at some time in their life. But yeah. if if you know shift work, night shift is really, really, it's weird. Like two in the morning, you're supposed to be sleeping. And for those people that are out there working at night time, it, it kind of dark thoughts enter your mind. It's sort of a weird time where, you know, you, I, I don't know what it is physiologically, whether your guard's down or it's just like a bit of a sad time. Can be. Not, I mean, not if you're partying with friends, no, but if you're working. Yeah, you know? I, I used to work the, um, the graveyard shift on Triple J for many, many years. And that was the uh, – so I get there at 11 o'clock and work midnight until uh, 6 a.m. And then you pass over to the breakfast show. Now um, – the calls you would get at about 3 or 4 a.m. from, like, depressed garbage men mm. or people who'd just come out of a club and were lonely and sad, mm. it was like... I know, it's tough. It was really strange. Yeah, yeah. So I'm walking down. I've, I've seen this poor young guy. I knew he was young. But when I finally made my way down to his motorbike, the most depressing thing was that I looked... I had my torch, and I'm looking at the bike, trying to sort of suss out what had happened. He just lost control of his motorbike. Mm. It had 17 kilometres on the clock. No. Mm. 17. Hang on, so... That's it. He'd bought the bike brand new, done everything by the book. Yeah. Went out for a ride. Almost immediately crashed. Yeah, and died. And there I was. It's it's dark. I'm by myself. I've already taken in the young guy, deceased. I've walked the 150-metre walk, get to the bike, look at the speedo, 17 kilometres, and I just thought, that is fucked. So that's kind of an example of, you know, going to a job where, you know, you're very vulnerable. I mean, police aren't, or firemen or ambos, they're not special people. They don't have superhuman powers. Mm. People think they do. But it all kind of, you know, it manifests itself in various ways. Uh, here's, a, here's a story that's not for press, which is weird. Yeah, what? <laughs> that's how silly to say that. I mean, this technically is press. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Sure. But here's a story, uh, and I can talk about this a little bit more freely now because it's it's a bit of a problem in the uh, in the ambulance service. Mm. A very very good friend of mine, many many years ago, I don't know whether he's still alive, but he and his uh, partner, who were both in the ambulance service, they told me that they used to experiment with drugs that they got from the, the ambulance. Now, got from the ambulance as in drugs that were being used on patients Correct. or drugs that they would get off people who passed out? No, 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 out. drugs that were um, you know, supplied by the New South Wales Ambulance and they would basically uh, lock themselves into, into a room on, on their time off and um, 
partake of these drugs and, you know, see what happened. Do I know these people? No. Okay. Listen, the thing about the um, the 17-year-old motorcyclist who drove 17 kilometres and then died on the spit bridge, I guess finding that body when you've got that kind of like late night fugue state going on and you're very susceptible to trauma, um, what's the emotional difference between, say, that or being involved in the roundup of bodies for a Mount Erebus style, um, you know, like cataclysm? Do you, which one affects you more? Because, I mean, is it like the one body stands out more because of the pathos, like you said, or is it, you know, like what? Like, what's the difference in terms of finding a body, the way you get affected emotionally? I haven't been to any incident with, with multiple uh, fatalities, thank God. Mm. Um, well, you've been to traffic incidents. I've been to traffic yeah. incidences. I've been to, I went to a car accident one night where, um, I mean, I told you about the one with the four people in the truck. Yes, I, I believe that was on this show. Yeah, 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 that was yeah. pretty heavy. Mm. Um, but I went to one on the northern beaches where... Everyone in the car was deceased except for the husband who was the driver. Mm -hmm. So his wife and the kids, everyone was dead. Oh, my God. And uh, I had to make my way into the back, through the back of the car with some of the deceased um, next to me. Yeah. And I did that because the paramedics had asked me to come in from behind to hold his neck up. He was, um, they just needed to support his neck, otherwise, he would have uh, suffocated. And this guy said to me, He said, how, How's my wife and how are my kids? Oh, God. And I lied to him. And I had to say, They're fine. And I knew they were all dead. How's that for fucking heavy? That is so depressing. And I know, listeners, that's a terrible note to finish an episode on. But so what I'll do is I will um I will refer to my notes and we can answer a question from one of our listeners, because that way at least we can sort of maybe pull up out of this nosedive. Um Okay. Here's a question from a listener. Sam Lindsay asked, if you could change one law back then or now, what would it be and why? Sam. Sam, Sam, Sam. I'm, I'm Paul. I know, but... But you're looking at me as you say that. No, no, it's just that it's... That's, you know, as people, the listeners will know, this is totally unrehearsed, off the cuff. Mm, so Dad could say something really bad. No, 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 it's not that. It's just <laughs> a, it's such a big, big question. It is a big question, yeah. yeah. Um, look, what I would like to say is that I would totally and utterly... Thinking about what we know now about, um, you know, all the the terrible things that are happening in institutions, institutional uh, violence portrayed, you know, or taken out on, on you know, young children. Yeah. Um, bearing in mind that 90% of um, abuse is carried out within families, which is a, a statistic that we don't want to forget about. But I grew up in a time where um, these things were very much hush-hush and... Uh, you know, horrendous d- domestic violence would would take place uh, that I would witness, and and the police often just um, you know didn't didn't really um, follow through. Why do you think that is? Well, a lot of the times, the, the for example, with domestic violence, the wife or the or the partner, the spouse, in every single case that I can recall, was the victim was the woman. And then at some point or other, the woman would say, "You know what? I just don't want to press charges." 
and the police would go, great. Because it's easier for them. Easy way out. Thank you very much. You go back to your rotten relationship and have the shit beaten out of you every night and live in fear. Uh, and I used to, that, that troubled me and I wish that we had have had more. more um, but it was a sort of a, a cultural thing as well. Um, but now it's changed, thank God. But when I joined the police force, I would have, I would like to have seen a lot more um, protection for for women, yeah, uh, and and for young kids too, yeah. And 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 you know the police have got a, a massive and important role to play, and um, you know they are the they're that 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 thin blue line, and they need to be a, an organisation that we all feel we can go to and, and, and they will do the right thing and, and they'll protect us and they'll look after us. and So, yeah, I feel that the whole domestic violence situation, um, whilst it's improved and improving slowly, uh, you know, I think that it still leaves a lot to be desired. And I used to go, I used to take women uh, to refuges uh, where understandably a lot of the the women within those refuges, like the that that ran these places, they they had a um, a palpable hatred of men. Yeah, it was palpable, but you know, still, it's an important um, duty. And I think you know, police are sort of, oh God, it's a it's a tough, tough job. Yeah, and um, preparing people to for that career is uh, it's difficult. So I, I I hope I've answered that question. I think you have. Yeah, I think you have. I think you have. Um, well, look, that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Loose Units, the podcast. Don't forget that the Loose Units audiobook, which, and I don't know if this is breaking news for listeners, but the Loose Units audiobook is coming out on April the 1st. It'll be available globally on literally every audiobook platform, and there'll be physical copies, and it's going to be goddamn everywhere. And it features a very special intro with me and dad on the mic. Uh, you had fun recording that, didn't you? Dan? I loved it. Yeah. And he I did. really liked it. You were very good. Thank it, you, thank so you. if you want to hear um, the Loose Units audiobook, which features a whole bunch of stuff, um, strange little things threaded in that the book uh, couldn't actually contain uh, because it's an audio medium, then make sure you keep your ears peeled for the Loose Units audiobook. Otherwise, um, head to your local bookstore or get online and buy Loose Units, the book, if you haven't already. Um, other housekeeping, I guess, would be um, if you haven't already done it, and I know most of you have, go to iTunes, leave a rating and review. Um, go to Goodreads, leave just... I'm just... Loose Units is just such a big part of our lives now, and we're so lucky to have you along with, uh, with us for the ride. Oh, uh, also... If you want something funny to listen to, uh, I am producing Tegan Higginbotham's new podcast, Ruler Mark, which we will link to on the Facebook page. Uh, it's basically a comedy podcast um, all about French culture and our obsession with France. If you like RuPaul's Drag Race, I am hosting a new RuPaul's Drag Race podcast called The New Romantics with Megan Washington and Chili Philly. Look, I mean, typically speaking, I think people tune out towards the end of podcasts because they think it's all sh- uh, like housekeeping. So, Dad, is there anything else you want to say at the end? Um, just to kind of round things out. Well, um, I'm looking forward to my next podcast. Well, yeah, let's uh, let, let let's let's get ready for it right now. Love it. All right. See you next week. Acast powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.